Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks Show, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. I'm Ben Pick, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. I'm Morgan Lee. And I'm Shannon Reddy under the pen name SD Houston. And we're here today with indie author and publisher A.L. Knorr. We're going to ask her questions about her self-publishing journey and how she markets her work. But before we jump into the interview, do you all have any news or points of interest you want to talk about? Right now, I'm still just revising and drafting books two and three in my trilogy. I'm still hoping to have those finished and out sometime at the end of fall, most likely. So that's the only thing that's going on with me right now. And I am uh, writing and probably doing some revising from some notes I'll be getting from my critique partner, Morgan, um, writing my next series, which is a four book fantasy series, a romantic fantasy with uh, dragon shifters and Faye. So I'm looking forward to getting that series going. And today is July 15th, which is actually the start of the first AuthorTube writing conference, which will be here on YouTube in the AuthorTube community. And we have some really great special guest speakers and we have some really great speakers who have also signed up. So we can't wait to be able to share that with you guys. And that is going to be later today. So look out for that. And that's my news. Great, great. And yeah, around July 15th, I should be just on the cusp of publishing my debut novel. So look out for information on that. Now let's talk about our guest author today. A.L. Knorr is a young adult contemporary fantasy author originally from Canada, but who now resides on the Mediterranean with her husband. She published her first book in 2011, a mermaid fantasy called Born of Water, which went on to win the gold medal for from Reader's Favorite in 2018. AL answers to Abby or Abs in Daily Life and loves animals, coffee, shipwrecks, and flannel sheets. Welcome, Abby. Would you please take a moment to tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, as you said, I write young adult contemporary fantasy. I've recently started a new series in a epic fantasy, which is a bit of a departure for me, but that's what I'm working on currently. And I live on the Mediterranean coast, so I'm hiding in a dark room because I'm pale. <laughs> and uh, I love it. And I recently bought my first pineapple plant, which is very exciting because I don't have children or pets. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's kind Kind of like nutshell of my life. Well, that sounds delicious. I hope it grows into a wonderful, wonderful fruit. Um, and yeah, I'm sorry if I misspoke earlier. I did mean to say 2017 is when your Mermaid Fantasy Born of Water came out or yes. when you published it. So in That's case correct. I spoke wrong earlier. Just no worries. And before we jump into questions of self-publishing and marketing your books, could you tell us what made you want to start writing? Yeah, I I have been wanting to write books for as long as I could remember, which I suspect had a lot to do with my mom teaching me to read when I was three years old. So I learned to read very, very young, terrible with numbers, <laughs> but good with letters, apparently. So and I just fell in love with story. I've loved story, story for as long as I can remember. I consumed books like crazy, probably like you guys was a bookworm growing up as a teenager, couldn't get enough. I would rather hide in my room with 700 books than, you know, go out and be sociable. A little bit more balanced now, so really enjoy people. But certainly growing up, uh, I spent most of my time in these fantasy worlds. And I think that just gives your young brain all of this fodder for creating your own ideas, your own magic systems, your own characters, your own plots. And I knew that one day I would do it. I just didn't know it would look like this. Yeah, so since I was wee. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to publishing your first book? Sure. I was living in Italy at the time. So I have a background in marketing and I knew when I left my corporate job in marketing that I wanted to be entrepreneurial and do something for myself. And I had always kind of dabbled in writing stories, but never seriously, because at that time I didn't really know that self-publishing was a thing. And I believed that becoming traditionally published was a huge challenge, which it is. You have to impress a lot of people. It's quite slow. And so I hadn't tackled that because I didn't feel really prepared to deal with that. At the same time, I was living in a country where I didn't really speak the language that well. I wasn't sure about, you know, getting a job. And I was like, well, I do want to do something for myself. I'm just not sure what that is. So I spent an entire year dabbling in writing, listening to podcasts and, you know, thinking, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? <laughs> big, you know, big questions like that. And I came across podcasts about self-publishing and it was a very quick transition from what kind of business should I open to I'm writing the time is now that's it I'm committed and it was a hundred percent full-on this is what I'm gonna do because I had spent so much time in marketing before that I felt that I had some marketing chops and I understood or I thought I understood somewhat how to make a book like how to sell a product because I worked in consumer packaged goods and then I was like this is it now I just have to try storytelling and see if people actually like my writing and so over the course of a year I developed the launch strategy I developed the universe that I was writing in I made that decision to write an non-linear series and I wrote two and a half books in 2016, which I then published the first one in 2017, early 2017. And that was it. It was like head first dive and I was sold. Well, to come into this self-publishing world, I think having a background in marketing is probably one of the best backgrounds to have because <laughs> I would really help you sell your books. I wish I had that background. Um, <laughs> So how did you make that decision then, since you were looking at how hard it is with traditional publishing, was there a point at which you said, yep, I'm definitely going to self-publishing and what, how did you make that decision? Yeah, it was a decision that came very organically because of the marketing background that I had and the podcast that I listened to with authors who came before me, as we all like to do when we're coming up into this industry, they had all had spoken richly about the pros and cons of each. And I think traditional publishing is a fantastic choice for a certain personality type or certain character type or way of working. And self-publishing is an excellent choice for those who may like to have a bit more control over the decisions that they make, what their covers look like, what they're going to write next, how long the series is going to be. You know, and I really liked the idea of being in control of what I was publishing because I had kind of run a marketing team before and worked in tandem with product development and created briefs about, you know, products. So I understood kind of taking an idea from concept to completion, putting it on the market and all the steps kind of in between. So for me, it was like kind of an obvious choice because I had those skills and I didn't have to, you know, think about it too hard because going down the traditional route and wait, you know, trying to find an agent and then waiting for the agent to sell that work and then waiting for the work to actually come out and then getting permission to write book two or book three if, you know, if it wasn't part of your deal. Yeah, I was just like, I'm just going to go for it. I like to get things done quickly and I'm very driven and ambitious in terms of what my goals are and you know, how I achieve them. So it was like, like that this is the right decision for me personally. Did anyone or anything inspire you to self-publish or do you want to give a specific shout out to those podcasts that you referenced? Sure. I listened to, one of the ones I listened to a lot was, well, the name of it is kind of flying out my head right now. The one run by Lindsay Broker and her friends. This is like your author podcast. That must be it. And then one by, shoot, I'm so sorry, I'm forgetting the name. Although I think it was, it was something different. I think it was like the science the, fiction and fantasy, fantasy. Yes. marketing. 
Yeah, yes, that one. Podcast. And then it changed to Six Figure Author Podcast later. That's right. And the one that's about creating assets and streams of income, the Passive Income Podcast, that one, who hosted Michael Anderley, who did so well in the beginning with his Vampires in Space. And I was like, that is so specific. I love that that's so specific. <laughs> and he just, it really inspired me. His story really inspired me because he his story really spoke into finding a niche and committing to that niche and finding and connecting with the readers who really love that particular genre and then writing fast in order to keep those hungry readers full. So I would say Michael Landerly is probably one of the bigger authors, indie authors that inspired me, who's now, I had a relationship with him with one of the series that we published. And then the other author who I happily got to meet in Miami in 2018 is Michelle Maddow, who was a traditionally published author for YA fantasy early on in her career and made the jump into indie and loved it and is, you know, doing wonderfully well at it and we write fairly similarly so she was really an inspiration for me too because she came well ahead of me and had a lot of books out and she was willing to share a little bit with me in the beginning and stuff so those two authors I think are kind of two of my biggest inspirations in the early days so you have really gorgeous covers so I want to know a little bit more about the process for getting your covers designed and has that changed at all since the time you first published your book thank you so much I love my covers too the Initial covers that I launched with are actually actually slightly different than the covers you see now for my first series, which is the Elemental Origin series. So if you look at the paperback versions of those books, you'll see the old style covers. And the reason that I changed them, so this is a lesson that I learned, I put them out there in 2017 and they did okay, they did well, but I realized later on that there was nothing on those covers that said magic. It just was a character in a setting and some nice colors and some some iconography on the cover, but there wasn't anything that actually connected the story to magic when you look at it. So the title, titles Born of Water, Born of Earth, Born of Air, Born of Ether, they don't say anything about magic. Elemental Origins doesn't specifically say anything about magic either. So I actually, in 2019, rebranded those covers to be very close to what the originals look like, but to add a little bit of magic so that the reader can see at a glance that these are fantasy stories. And that was a change that was a little bit painful to make, but very important because your covers are massively important, as you know. And nowadays, I do work with several different designers. I don't stick with the same one all the time. And I think that's a decision you make as an author. If Some do very, very well with a very consistent look constantly. I mean, they've written 50 or 60 books and all the covers look exactly the same and they're branded. So you recognize it as a, as a reader which is an excellent strategy. And others like myself, when I write a new series and it's maybe slightly different than what I've written before, I just want to come across with a different flavor. Then I, I look for a new creative brain to work with to try and communicate that story or that flavor to the readers. Like you said, I think that is an important thing to take away about rebranding your covers. I've had my covers looked at by someone who is self-publishing and she said they they work, but I might be able to do better if I rebrand them and put a person on the front. I think I'm, I'm going to be looking at that probably, but I, like you, I'll probably wait like, you know, another year or so before I do anything like that. It's expensive sometimes to make yeah. those changes. So. Right. And, and I actually saved... <laughs> expenses because I made my own covers. I oh, did wow. have my first one done and I was playing around and just wanted a placeholder for my second book. And, and I liked it better than what I had ordered, what I had paid for, for my first one. So they ended up doing my first one too. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that expense is, is probably coming for sure in the future. So you have licensed some of your German audiobooks to an outside source. Could you tell us about how you began that process and how it works? 
Yes, I can tell you all about it, but it's probably not what you're expecting because I didn't begin the process. <laughs> Basically, a German publisher reached out to me and said, we found your books online. They look like they would work really well for our readers. Can we license them? And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, you can. And I'm really lucky because they ended up being wonderful people to work with. I, I have a strong connection now to those people, specifically to my translator, Marcus, who has now translated, all, he's translated almost my entire catalog and he knows my voice inside and out. He knows my stories really well. It's been wonderful to have the right person to work with in another market and somebody who really cares about your work. Um, so I'd have to say, unfortunately, I was just really lucky. <laughs> There's been something specific that I can tell you about going out and finding a translator to work with or, or a publishing company to work with. However, I would say that once you have a relationship with one foreign publisher, other relationships are much easier to get because then you can say, not only has have these books done okay in English, now they've been proven in another market and you can approach them and say these licenses, these rights are available if you're interested, you know, in trying to find somebody that is aligned with you. And I'm sort of in that process now. The German rights have sold, the Italian rights have been sold, and now I'm getting queries for Hungarian and Russian and stuff. So they'll start to trickle in. So I'd say the one thing to remember about that or to know about that is that the first one is the most difficult to get. If it can come to you, then fantastic. If not, don't be afraid to go after it. But after that, it does get easier. What are some tools that you use to help with the publishing process? The publishing process, I really just use one amazing tool, and that's my formatting tool of Vellum, which you guys may have heard of it. It changed my world <laughs> when I started using it because I struggled to make Word documents look good or to make Scrivener documents look good because it's, I mean, Scrivener is fantastic. I write in Scrivener and I love it now, but I have to almost remind myself by using their tutorial videos of how it works and how to use all the tools. And I don't use it for, for publishing. I just use Vellum because I can import uh, and it directly divides up everything by chapter. And then I can just work on the fun stuff like the page break designs and flourishes and, you know, picking the formatting and everything like that. That's really the only publishing tool that I use. Yeah. So in a previous interview, I think you mentioned using, and maybe this is more of your writing tools, uh, Author AI. Do you still use that? I do. Uh, Authors AI is actually a, a little company that I was a co-founder with a lot of other authors at the same time as doing a site called Binge Books. So Binge Books and Authors AI are actually run by the same people. I was a contributing and founding author for those a couple of years back, but I haven't been intimately involved in the development. However, I use the AI tool at the very end of my manuscript when it's been through the editing process and I'm about ready to, almost ready to publish it. I'll put it through the AI and really it's just to be alerted to things like repetitive word use, or the shape of the story is visualized so that they take your story and you can see the peaks and the valleys and kind of the emotional journey that your reader goes on. Um, and that's really helpful because you can see if, if an area is flat or not. And sometimes I've moved around chapters in order to mitigate the slower pace that might happen in some places. So it's not a, it's not a super in-depth tool that's going to do any work for you whatsoever, but it will help you understand because what it does is take your manuscript and compares it to thousands or tens of thousands of other manuscripts, many of whom are written by big trad authors and it'll make a comparison. So you can kind of understand, you know, your voice is a little bit like this voice for these reasons and, or, the, or here you use too many adjectives. It just alerts you to these different kinds of things because you get a package that it spits out afterwards. And I do really like it. It's nice just as a check kind of at the very end. It doesn't, I suppose you could use it earlier on in the process if you wanted to, but I find it most valuable at the end because there's not a huge amount of changes that I want to do. It's more like polishing. Sounds like a really interesting tool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, too. 
Are you comfortable discussing any publishing missteps or something you would have liked to have done differently? Well, I think the cover rebrand was the biggest, I wouldn't necessarily call that a misstep. I, I suppose it was a, a bit of a painful learning experience that just led me to be a little more aware of the choices that I make when I work with a cover designer and what I want. Because of that process, I'm a little more specific on my creative briefs rather than just giving a generic idea. I give a little more detail, uh, not giving them art direction per se, but saying, you know, this is the kind of mood. These are the color schemes that might be important. These are for this current um, series I'm working on. These are the botanicals that might that are important to the story, etc. So yeah, if there's anything I learned that I can pass on to other authors from that is that to really think about what you're communicating in a snapshot, because as readers are shopping on Amazon, they're seeing a lot of these little thumbnails going by really quickly. If you shop like me, you're like, <laughs> what's new? And you want to be able to say very clearly in a moment without really them even having to have time to read the title what the book is about. And that's why like sci-fi, for example, a spaceship is like, boom, like I know that that's sci-fi. So that was a really valuable lesson for me. Thank you for sharing that because I think that is something interesting and everybody I think should know that if they're self-publishing, you know that it's a good idea to put together some type of good brief to give to cover designers instead of just saying, oh, well, put a girl on the front with some magic. <laughs> yes, totally. So, so you've had a prolific writing and publishing career over the last five years. What do you see as the benefits and drawbacks to your journey and what are your plans moving forward? Mm. Uh, thank you. Yes, I, I worked very hard, especially the first three, four years, because when you're first starting out, you just have no idea whether people are going to actually like your stories or not. And even publishing one book doesn't really give you an idea whether people will like your stories or not, because, you know, okay, I, I sold some books. Was that a fluke? Or, you know, what, what do I, what happens now? So you have to keep these, these readers coming back and you have to do it fairly quickly. And so, you know, when you're making a name for yourself, I was just, I think I published six books a year, I think my first couple of years, which is sort of insane, like looking back at that now, but I was in the right place to be able to do that because I was living in a country where none of my friends were around to distract me. I wasn't married at the time. I have no children. I had no mortgage to pay. I was just like sitting in Italy. <laughs> dreaming and uh, working my butt off. I would say you have to be very careful with your body if you're working that hard because this is a Sisyphean kind of job where you're pushing this massive boulder uphill. That's what it feels like in the beginning to try and get some momentum. And then in your later years, you can sort of get it rolling and then just hit it every once in a while to keep it going because now you've got this backlist that you can market and you don't have to kill yourself quite as much. Not that I'm saying you should kill yourself, but this is what I did to myself. I like woke up in the middle of the night with blue arms. Like <laughs> I had TOS, I had back problems. I wouldn't encourage it I would say in a balance and in the future for me like the past five years is like I'm glad I did the work is now I can sort of reap some of the rewards of being right a little slower don't spend so much time sitting at my computer maybe go traveling and you know develop some relationships with some people and things like that so definitely the next five years will be a little slower maybe I'll publish two books a year maybe three books a year which still sounds like a lot sometimes to me yeah so definitely slowing down and enjoying and just giving myself the time the creative time and space to think more deeply about some ideas that maybe I've had in the past that just seemed too ambitious to tackle at the time. If you could pass on one thing to aspiring self-published writers, what's your best publishing tip or trick? 
Well, for publishing, I would say just make sure you have a really good team of people or at least one other person that you really trust that you can hand your books off to. Because I would say don't edit your own work. Make sure that you get help because you are blind for the trees kind of thing that you can't see the forest for the trees because you've been in this manuscript up to your eyeballs since the conception of it. And you might think that you know what it's like to read it. You don't. You just don't. You are uniquely unqualified <laughs> to say whether your work is good or bad. So make sure that you hand it off to a trusted colleague. Doesn't matter where you find that person. Great editors and great people in this industry can be found everywhere. Like Reedsy's full of them. Fiverr's full of them. Just Facebook is full of them. You just need one other person who is going to be honest with you and tell you maybe don't, you know, publish it like this. Think about these suggestions. And so that you have that self-check and you can go out with at least the vote of confidence of that one person behind you that you trust just to, don't try and do it all yourself that was definitely a lesson that i learned the hard way really <laughs> that is very valuable advice yes i i was a publish the first draft kind of person okay so, before i learned you know yeah <laughs> all right so we're gonna move from publishing to marketing so when you launch a new book what is your process for marketing it so it depends if it's a, a first in series or a book two or three, because I don't do the same thing depending on where it is in that lineup. If it's a first in series, I put it up for pre-order at full price and I launch it at full price because I find that for me personally, I believe that training readers to expect a sale right up front on something that you've put all this hard work into. If they expect that, it's my fault. It's not their fault <laughs> because I've trained them to expect that. So for me, I think the focus being on finding the readers that really love your voice and really love your story. And then uh, when you launch the book, it's those people that you're launching to. It's your tried and true who will give you the good reviews, who will support you by reading, by giving you the pages read or the, or the uh, purchase. I tell my newsletter about it. I tell my social sites about it, my social platforms, which I don't use millions of them, but I have a few. I don't do any big advertising campaign right off the hop, but I do start up some Amazon ads after a couple of weeks just to give it a chance to populate with also bots and things like that so that Amazon knows who to show these books to. I might do a book bub ad to myself, my, my, as my, with myself as a target, but I usually wait to do a big promotion for as long as a year, up to a year after a book is actually published. And this is why it's nice to have a backlist because now I focus on doing promotions and sales with the backlist to keep that going and keep readers feeding in, new readers feeding in. Publishing a new series to me is all about giving my loyal fans something new and juicy to read. So that's kind of where I focus when I publish a brand new book. Would you say that you do the same or you have done the same strategy when you first started writing, when you didn't have an audience? No, oh, really great question. No, I did something different. I, because I didn't, I was learning so much and I was in my first, you know, couple of years. First of all, my decision to write a nonlinear series was very intentional. There are six books in my initial series and five of them could be a book one. So I did that very intentionally because I knew that I was going to have to have something to market throughout that first year as I was continuing to publish new work. I didn't want to have a linear series where all I could do was funnel ads to book one 
one, because what if book one wasn't selling well, wasn't that interesting, or was really difficult to market, then I was just kind of stuck. I had to finish the series before I could start something new. So um, the in the nonlinear series, those five characters that each have their own story happen simultaneously. And the characters, four of them are friends, and they're texting each other back and forth. So you get hints of something happening for this other character, which my intention was to hopefully hook them enough that they want to read that book, because you're dealing with something different than read through, right? When you read book one, you like automatically want to grab book two, because it goes linearly through the story chronologically. With a nonlinear series, you don't have that, you have to try and hook them in some other way. So I had the girls friends, I made them text each other and give little hints to the reader that certain things were happening. And it, it seemed to work, thankfully. But throughout that first year, basically those books each got their own time in a promotion. And I was not afraid to drop price to 99 cents or do a free giveaway. And in fact, free giveaways worked very well for me for the first six months. Like every time I did a free promotion, I saw read through because it was a great way to give readers uh, opportunity to try my writing with nothing, nothing given on their side other than the time. So for me, that worked really well because nobody knew who I was. And to get readers to try, I was like, well, well have a sample. <laughs> like I worked for um, Bath and Body Company and one of our marketing strategies that worked very well is to give away a sample of soap because, you know, our soap was made with really great ingredients. It was super nourishing and you would notice a difference from this soap to that soap. So it was the same principle. It's like give them something for free, be generous. And if they love it, they'll come back. And they did. So I basically just went through every six weeks. I was focused on the next book in the series and give them their either freebie promotion or their 98 cent promotion. I did not use Facebook ads or Amazon ads or anything in those first year and a half because I was very intimidated by the dashboard and I knew it was going to take time to learn it. So I used the third-party newsletter sites. I bought ads from, you know, Crave Books or BookBub or ENT or Kindle Daily, like, you know, all those, there's lists and lists of them. Um, and I just strategically would kind of add stack for the my five-day or my week-long promotion, however long it was, and then just let it do what it was going to do. I didn't have a lot of money to spend, so I kept, you know, my budgets were teeny, but at least they, every time I did it, they got a little bigger, a little bigger. Well, here's baby steps. Um, so yeah, my first year was very different from a promotional perspective than my activities are now. It's a good question. Yeah, that was a brilliant strategy for your Elemental Origin series. So. Thank you. What was the best money you ever spent marketing your books? Well, I think of the sales page as marketing and the best money I spend is definitely in the covers. Maybe it seems like a kind of cliche answer, but hundred percent, I believe that. The other thing that was really good spend, so I'm going to say covers, but I'm going to give you a second thing because maybe cover seems like a cheating answer, <laughs> um, is I, I, I got help with the blurbs. I didn't write them myself. Some of them I did, but I, I found that I wasn't that great at it initially. I'm not sure I'm that great at it now. So I hired help to get those blurbs right. At least I think they're right. I hope they're right. If they sell books, you'd think they were right. But just, it's one of those things you just could never, you don't need to stop working on. You can always improve the blurb. So yeah, that's the other thing is like money well spent is somebody who's really good at blurb writing, who can hook the reader. Because sending traffic to the page is actually fairly easy. You just need money to be able to do that as you're buying, you know, advertising. But actually converting that traffic into a sale is the difficult part. So the cover and the blurb to me are the two like most important things that you can get right. And after that, traffic is just save up your pennies. Is there any marketing that you've done that you would never do again? I wouldn't say never. There's a few third-party ad platforms that I bought from that did nothing that I just wouldn't, I wouldn't buy again. I'm not going to uh, bash them here publicly, but for me, it was just like, that was not a good purchase for me. Maybe their readers aren't my readers. So, uh, you know, over the last five, six years, I've maybe gleaned a list that have worked for me and I'll keep using them. I never was one for booking blog tours 
or buying advertising on big web pages. You know what I mean? Like the, the kind of bigger end Goodreads newsletters that, that are big that the trad companies like to purchase from like he headline ads, things like that. I've never tried that. I guess I don't really believe in that it's going to give me the bang for buck, but I can't speak from a, an experience kind of perspective. So if that's something that tells you, then certainly don't take my word that it won't work. <laughs> it's just not something that I kind of buy into. I did a blog tour for my first book and I don't think it had a good ROI. It was very, very negative mm, <laughs> in the go. ROI. I have heard more than just you say that. And that was enough for me to just be like, I'm just going to stick with what I know works. <laughs> I think that's a good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel social media is valuable as an author? Why or why not? I do think it's valuable. My, I think social media is a nice to have. It's not a must have, a need to have. That's my viewpoint. I think there were probably a lot of authors out there who would say, I use social media to sell my books and that's all I use. And that works for them. For me, this is a very personal thing. I mean, there's a million ways to success as an author. I think for some people that would be great. For me, I find that I can get sucked in and very distracted and soon find that I've wasted an hour of my time just scrolling myself, you know, not even working. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, social media to me is a nice to have. It's not a need to have. And I think sometimes that I might get rid of some of my platforms because I don't know that I'm getting out of it what I would get out of it if I was thinking of it as a need. Like I think if you get out of it what you put into it. And I prefer to put more work into my writing than to my social. If I were to hire somebody to maybe run it for me, I probably would get more out of it. But then I'm taking budget away from something else. So it's just, you know, it's kind of a juggling act. Yeah. So I think I think it maybe is a decision as does it suit your personality and is it something that you really enjoy doing are there any social media platforms that you do think are, are useful i have a private group on facebook who have been wonderful for me since the very beginning mm -hmm. i keep it small intentionally i give uh, anyone who enters has to answer three questions a lot of people don't answer so they don't get in and i like that it's small because the readers have then gotten to know each other and i get feedback from people that i know have actually read my books and who have opinions and who've been with me, you know, for the last five years, and they've been supporting me all along the way, that group is really valuable to me. And some of them have become friends. And I think whether you do that on Instagram, or TikTok, or Pinterest, or wherever, it doesn't really matter. I think just having that group of rabid fans who are waiting for the next book is really important for an author to have that. It doesn't matter how, how big or small it is. It's just that's your those are your like your true fans. Yeah, that's important. Do you have a book or series that seems to sell better than the other ones? And what are your thoughts as to why? Uh, it's a good question. What I think I do, I have my initial series, Elemental Origin series sells the best, but that's because I advertise the most. So I think if you have a book series that isn't selling that well, it could be because it's not marketable for some reason, or it could be because you're not advertising it. <laughs> hard enough. Um, because I, I believe if your packaging is good, if you've done the best you can with your packaging, your book blurb is good and your cover is appropriate and your metadata is appropriate and you're in the right categories, check, check, check. Then it, all you have to do to sell that book is then market it properly. And if you're marketing it, it's going to sell. So yeah, the reason that I have a series that sells more than any other is because I market it more than any other. And if I jumped my budget over to another series, it would sell better for sure, but I maybe wouldn't get the read through that I get because I'm not starting those, I'm not funneling those new readers into the very beginning of the story because how I've structured my universe is that I have my core origin story. And then each of those characters now has like a trilogy or a five book series or a trilogy. And each of those has a book one that I can funnel readers into, but I have had comments from readers saying, oh, I wish I'd known that this character actually has a, 
has a prequel. So for me, my strategy has kind of funneled down to being focusing on that book one. And that's why there's so many more reviews on my book one than any other book that I sell. Uh, because I market it like crazy. And if people love my writing, they're just going to make their way through the catalog. And if they don't, they've tried it and they move on. And that strategy works for me because my universe is interlinked. If you write series that are completely different and different characters, different universes or whatever, if I did that, then I would definitely just focus on marketing book one for each of those and finding those readers. So I like what you said about, you know, how you, that first series does really well because you market all of them. But I wonder too, if, because to me, that seems like an, a unique idea of having, you know, those five books and they're each a different entry into the series, yet they're all interconnected, like you said, by these text messages that I've never heard of that before. So I bet that intrigues your readers and they're like, oh, I've got to read more because this is such a unique idea. And I wonder yeah. if that, that helps us sell. Um, I, some... hope, I hope so. I, I hope that you're right about that. What I do find, like that was my intention, obviously, was to market each book and give it its time in the sun and its promotion period. But because of the way that Amazon specifically lays out a series, you have to assign a book one, a book two, a book three. So when I market to a book four, like Born of Air, readers land on that page and it's its own standalone story, but it looks, it's a book four of a series. So wait, well, I can start here. I'm a little confused. I, I maybe I feel like I should, I feel like I'm in the wrong place. I should go back to book one and book one is a totally different, it's a mermaid story. So that's the thing. It did work for me to get my author career off the ground, but there is a little caveat with that. So I guess there's pros and cons, but if somebody wanted to start out writing a nonlinear series, I would totally say, Hey, go for it. It worked really well for me. If you, if the concept comes to you. Yeah. I would do it again. Maybe we should petition Amazon for changing their structure. Yeah. <laughs> You have works maybe that don't sell as well. And if that's so, I mean, how you might have kind of answered this already, but do you have anyone that doesn't sell as well? And are you trying different ideas to try and get it sell better? So I have a series, a trilogy that doesn't sell very well, but I blame the fact that I co-authored it. So it is different. It's a different voice. This, there's nothing wrong with the story whatsoever. The story is delightful, but it's darker. It's grittier. It's a little more violent than my usual work because my partner, he writes like military sci-fi and grimdark. He's an excellent writer, but combining his voice with my voice definitely changed the genre. It went adjacent to my typical stuff. So my usual reader, the readers who'd fallen in love with what I already already wrote, then got this book that they're like, wow, this is different. This is not like A.L. Kinnor at all. This is something totally new. So I think that maybe is the reason why it doesn't sell as well as the others, because I actually shy away from marketing it because I don't want that to be a reader's first introduction to my voice because it'll be wrong. My 30 other books don't actually sound like that. There are an infinite number of tips and resources out there for publishing and writing and everything. How do you funnel it down to being something useful for you? Trial and error. So over the last five years, every year, so your your focus is massive when you first start out and you're just trying to figure out what works, where are my readers, what works for my personality and my character type, my knowledge level. You know, trying so many different things is really important. Pro of that being that you get experience in lots of different ways of marketing your books and building your brand. The con of it is that your impact is a blunt force. It's not a sharp instrument, if that makes sense. So you're kind of trying everything, which means you're spreading out your efforts. But it's really important to do that because you might magically stumble across something that just works really well for you and doesn't require the same level of maybe energy or resources that something else does. So for me, that over those five years, it just kind of went like this. Each year that went by, my focus on what does work for me because I tried, tried that, don't work me, tried that, didn't work me, this works, this works, this works. And I just, I think that over time, it just takes time and you being adventurous and courageous and trying different things uh, and you will, 
narrow it down to what works for you and you can then safely sacrifice and focus on that on those activities and, and save your energy if you could only pass on one tip or trick what is your best marketing tip or trick for self-published authors I would say that core group of individuals, that those true fans who read everything that you love, go to them first before you do anything else. Make sure they are treated really well and they feel special. Do polls with them, get their opinions on things, share the covers with them first, share the, the title reveals with them first. They love your voice and they will support you no matter what, you know, as the years go by. So that core group of individuals, whether it's 200 people or a thousand people, it doesn't matter. Just baby them, love them, take care of them and go to them first with everything. And everything else is like a ring out from that, you know, to try and send a net out to bring more people into your world. But when they're in there, those people are gold. And I would say just focus on them. And even if it's a small group, don't worry about that because they're going to talk to people and, you know, people will be drawn in through those voices, through those people as well. Um, so it is a marketing activity to baby your beloveds. <laughs> I have never heard that tip before. So, I mean, I think it, we kind of know, like, if you get some fans that you should take care of them, but I don't think we've ever really had that discussion here on this show. So it was great that, to have that input. We're going to transition from your marketing to now your writing and your writing life. How much time do you spend working as an author versus other writing related stuff like your editing, finding readers, reviewers, marketing your books, et cetera? Yeah, a good question. I When I'm writing a book, I would say 85% of my time is spent writing the book, researching or writing. And that's my focus. When I sit down at my desk, I do very preliminary dust over of my emails and just check in on my sales. And but I, I move all that aside very quickly and I spend the majority of my day working on that project. Once I have my editorial deadline hit and passed and the manuscript is, is passed off to my editor, I spend a lot of time doing marketing. And I, I update my website. I might work on my product pages, my blurbs. I set up ads and I try new ads. I buy a lot of courses, but I never finish them. <laughs> so I can go back and, and, you know, do the next uh, installment of the course to try and learn something new. And I just spend, so it's kind of a feast famine. Like it's like feast on writing until that manuscript is done. And then famine on writing and feast on marketing until I get the manuscript back. And then once I publish it, I'm working on the, there's a, like, you know, a two week lead up period to the publishing and then it publishes. And then you got to make sure the book's doing okay and kind of feed it along for the next couple of weeks and then it's like diving right back into the next book so it is kind of a feast famine I know maybe some other authors do it in a, in a more balanced way and they have like from two to four I just do writing four to six I do this but that's just what has worked for me over the years I find it very hard to shift gears out of a story and into marketing when I'm just trying to get it to a deadline yeah when you're in that writing mindset, do you set word count goals for yourself, you know, by a week or by a month or whatever? I do. I have a daily word count goal of 2000. And I had to really flex myself to try and find that word count that worked for me because I injured myself early on. I've written as many as 13,000 words in one day. And I was just like, that's ow. <laughs> so I'm just not going to do that again because that really hurt. Um, and then it was paring back. And it used to be like 5,000 in the early years when I was trying to write books really quickly and just get them out and get my career going. Now I know that I can write 2,000 without exhausting myself creatively, without hurting my body. And it'll still, you know, come up with a decent sized book in a fairly short amount of time. So that's what works for me. And I do find that when I'm healthy, I just kind of go over that number anyways, because I'll just get into a scene and I won't realize it. And all of a sudden I've got 2,500 or 3,000 words. But then next day I'm back at 2000. So that's my kind of, I find that if I'm having a very difficult day writing, I'll tell myself just do 500 words, just do 500. That's all you have to do. I sit down. And once I start, I actually don't stop. And I usually hit that 2000. It's a little self-manipulation there. <laughs> 
So what usually comes first for you, the characters, the setting, or the plot? This is such a hard question. I don't know if you have heard of the snowflake plotting, I don't know if it's plotting technique or whatever. I, I, I haven't actually done the program or read the book or anything, but I know the concept and that is kind of naturally how I work. So I have a triangle and I have an idea for a character. I have an idea for a plot and I have an idea for a setting. So from there, I kind of bounce around like a ping pong ball in between and I push out, okay, I developed something in more specifically about that character and then I develop something more specifically about the plot. So they kind of come into fruition all at the same time as this like globular thing that just sort of grows. So I, I'm sorry that I can't choose one. <laughs> it's really difficult to answer, but yeah, they kind of all grow at the same time. <laughs> I like how you mentioned that because I kind of feel the same thing for me and the snowflake method is something that I use. I use a, a version of it mixed in with like save the cat and other, other types. I love um, save the cat. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I love, I love the book, but yeah. So I, when people ask me that, I'm like, well, you know, sometimes I think about the plot, but then I can't go much further in the plot until I know who's the character that inhabits this plot and wait, what's the setting look like? Because that's going to have an influence on how the character interacts in their setting to, to get that plot point. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so I, I totally understand what you're talking about on that. So many of your books actually have settings from all over the world. So how do you do research for all of these different places? And have you been to all of them? I love this question. So <laughs> I have traveled a lot. I haven't traveled to all of my settings. So if you, so the, the initial series, the five books are set in, they all start in Canada. The characters start in Canada. They're Canadian. I'm Canadian. It was a very easy thing to do to start there. Poland, Venice. So Poland, I've never been to, but I have read a lot about shipwrecks over the years and I love the Baltic Sea because it preserves shipwrecks really well. And I knew this story was going to have a shipwreck as a main character, as a main feature. So I chose that for that reason. And then Venice. I lived in for eight months and then in Italy in general for two and a half years. So I had quite a bit of experience living there. And I wrote that book while I was living in Venice. So it was perfect. Ireland, I have, I have Irish roots. I lived in Ireland. I went and traveled there for about a year when, in my teenage years. And I danced with an Irish troupe and had, you know, a lot of experience with Irish culture. Love it. And I always knew that I was, I would go back there. And I always knew that I would probably write a story set there. So that was a no brainer. Japan, I have never been to. I would love to go to one day and I just find their stories their history, their culture is so rich and so full of inspiration that I, I had to set a story there. And then the last one was uh, Sahara or Libya. I have never been there, but I love archaeology and I knew that I wanted to write a story that had archaeology as a very heavy theme. So for the stories that I wrote that I've never been to those settings, Japan and Libya specifically, I hired cultural expert. One was a cultural expert to read the story and give me feedback. And the other one was uh, I hired an archaeologist to give me feedback on Born of Air and they were indispensable, like so good for me to do that because I then afterwards readers came to me and said I really appreciated how realistic the archaeological dig was it just sounded like you had been digging all your life and you knew exactly what how to treat a dig and how to treat the finds and everything it's like yeah I had no idea <laughs> I actually just hired somebody to help me out um, so if you're writing in a set like don't let don't be scared of writing in any setting that you haven't been to first of all we have access through YouTube and all these other sites to see things and experience things secondhand through other people's experiences and next of all you can hire an expert who can help make sure that you pass the red face test <laughs> and that your story is fairly is as, as authentic as you can make it. You have so many series and you mentioned 30 plus books in your backlog. Do you have a favorite one and why? 
I do. It might seem cliche, but my very first book is my favorite. Probably, I, I kind of wonder, maybe you guys can answer a question, is like, is the first book that you write for always your most precious? Because to me, it was going through that process for the first time is very special. It's the first time is the only time that you go through it for the first time, if that makes sense. Like, you're never going to have that experience again. Every book that you write after that, you're like, oh, I've been through this before. I know what the process is like. But it's just like going into a jungle with a machete and that's it. Like, you you just got to figure out your way through and it can be brutal but it's so exciting and so such a great experience and for me that story had been with me since I was little that it was a mermaid story and there's a vignette in my mind of a mermaid coming across a ship and she blows the algae off the figurehead on the front of the ship and she reveals her own face what what happened who how did she end up there like this shipwreck is 130 years old like and then the story just built her built around that and it was pure fantasy fulfillment for me because I growing up loved everything to do with marine biology with ship shipwrecks, uh, maritime history. I read books about anything and everything to do with the ocean, just loved it. And so that story really came from a lot of years of dreaming and my own kind of imagination on mythology about merfolk. I wanted to develop my own merfolk mythology and make it really rich and really believable. So I would say my first book is my favorite for that reason. I love all my other stories too, but it is special. And I think just by default of being my very first book. Uh, yeah, I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? Your, your first books your favorites I would say my first book that I ever wrote is my favorite but it's not the first one I published because I wanted to get some publishing experience first before I put that book out but that one is my favorite yeah yeah I agree with that the uh the first book I ever wrote was the one I wrote in high school and that one's still my favorite it's really bad (laughs) it's not published but I love it yes so if you could write in any other genre which one would you pick and Uh. why (laughs) I would probably choose historical fiction because it's a it's a genre that I really love to read. But I just, I mean, I thought about trying that field, the, that genre in the beginning, but the immense amount of research that is required for historical fiction to make it a really good read, a really authentic read, and usually the word count is quite high, just kind of intimidated me away from it. But I would say I would love at some point in the future, the luxury of being able to take an entire year or two years to write a story that is historical fiction like something like Outlander for example that has a little supernatural element to it as well but the history of it is is accurate fairly accurate that allows you to just like really dive in and get to know this one era in time and the way of life and the culture and the people and everything about had their lives um, I would really love that it's very different from what I write with contemporary fantasy where you're just like coming up with great ideas and you know your imagination's going crazy and you're just on to the next book and the books aren't that long it's just you know it is a very different I think experience than writing something like historical fiction I can definitely see that. I um, Mine's not historical fiction, but I set it in third century Ireland. And so I had to do a whole lot of research to make research. sure I got certain things right, which took a lot of time. And, it, and even even though I did all that research for months up to my first book, for each book I wrote, I still had to go back and do more research to make sure I was yeah. you know, following along and doing justice to the culture there. So, so much work. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of work. So I'm looking forward to my next series, which is just a, you know, it's, it's a whole new made world. I don't have to worry about, you know, you know, make sure I got all the right parts to the culture and everything that I'm, you know, not making something wrong. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that the benefit of doing that, uh, all that research, you know, you know, you see authors who are very specific in the, the, the genre, the time period of historical fiction that they write, they just write Regency or they just write like Irish history or whatever, in a very specific time period, the Jacobite history in Scotland or whatever it is. Once you are an expert in like, once you dove in and really understood the history of it, then at least you can speed up a little bit and just build on what you already know and develop your knowledge. But if you're jumping around from different era to different era, boy, it's basically like starting from scratch because there's so much to 
learn True. about each time period. Well, I, I do plan on continuing the series later, a different subset, like another spinoff basically, but it's going to be on the water. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to have to go do research about what kind of oh. boats we had. And <laughs> you know, it's endless. Yes. <laughs> All right. So can you tell us about your next book and when it will come out? Sure. So uh, my next book is called A Memory of Nightshade, and it is book two in the Scented Court series. I have book one here. It's called A Blossom at Midnight. It's an epic length fey fantasy with three main characters uh, with interweaving storylines. And so I'm working on book two of that. It's a spinoff from my main universe in which the character experiences this world through a portal. But this story is now set in that world. There's no going back and forth with the portal. So readers who've read that series like oh we're going back to this fantasy world it's got its own map and you know its own continent it's a much bigger cast than books that i normally write and it is more political than what i normally write and the magic system was born out of the born of earth fairy books is fairy tale ghost story that i wrote as the origin story for born of earth and her character kind of grew in in the trilogy that i wrote for her afterwards and that earth magic i had a lot of readers come back to me and say oh i just love the earth magic i'd love to have more from that alternate world that you that we visited briefly in that series so i was like all right let's do this so it, it really got dives into real botanicals and the connection with the fae and it also has like a well because it's a court the scented court it's a very wealthy kind of set in a very wealthy kingdom where perfumes and scents and flower magic and each fae has a connection with a pollinator whether it's a bee or an insect or a bat or whatever so i developed that kind of to dig more deeply into that other series that i wrote and I'm having a lot of fun with it so I'm in the middle book of that trilogy so the first one is a blossom at midnight this is a memory of nightshade and then book three will be a shiver of frost well thank you for answering all of our questions and before we wrap up can you tell our listeners where they can find you or your novels or your pre-order your upcoming novels sure my books are in the kindle unlimited program so if your listeners are members of kindle unlimited they can read my books through that program or they can just purchase them on amazon at under al knorr is the name that i write under fairly easy to find and my website is alknorrbooks.com everything's linked from my website and i'm also i have a page on bookbub and on binge book just under A.L. Kanor, fairly easy to find. And you can also follow me through Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, same name, A.L. Kanor Books. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving your insight and experience. And this has been fantastic. I mean, I, I really do love the fantasy genre and, and all those incredible stories and shipwrecks too. I <laughs> have a whole bunch of follow-up questions, which we don't need to uh, take here. But thank you so much to our listeners and viewers as well. Uh, our next episode will be on August 1st. We'll have Jeff Jessica Ingold, who writes in multiple genres with six published books and one poetry collection. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.